0: From Double J, it's the Take Five podcast. The people you love play the songs they love and tell you why.
1: Welcome back. I'm Zan Rowe, and every week I invite someone great in to pick five songs around a particular theme. Music soundtracks our life and often triggers memories and moments that change the course of our lives for the better. Beck Hansen is a groundbreaker. Over 13 studio albums, he's taken us from slacker indie to cut-and-paste folk hip-hop, all-out funk and kaleidoscopic pop. His song Loser may have put him on the musical map, but he's continued to push the boundaries in whatever he creates, all while crafting an incredible soundtrack for all of our lives. Back in Australia after a few years away, I asked him to come in and take five. The theme was leaps in music, songs that have pushed music forward and changed the game for everyone and everything. While his choices on paper may have seemed obvious, hearing him talk about these opened up new ideas about the impact of these big hit songs when they first came out and showed him for the massive music fan that he is. His latest album is Colours and it's a shimmering pop adventure. Before we dived into his Take 5 song choices, I asked Beck about that latest album. When over a career he's leaped from so many different genres, I wanted to know if he knew where he wanted to go before he jumped into the studio.
0: There's usually an ethos. There's a, a way I want to make the record. And then there's always this sort of unattainable ideal of what it's going to be. And it never is. I mean, But that's why you make another record.
1: And you keep making you know, records. You
0: keep, you keep making them it's something you'll never get to the top of the mountain. There's just, it doesn't, it will never happen. And it's funny. Um, few people I've, you know, I don't know well, but I've, you know, I toured with you too. Um, I've hung out with Paul McCartney, even they're still trying to get, you know, if, if you talk to them, they're still talking about, we, I still want to make a great record. You know, I still haven't made that record that I want to make, you know, that, that sort of ideal
1: which is quite grounding to hear that. Paul McCartney yeah. did the Take 5 last year and talked about mm. songwriting. And for me, it was quite astounding to hear someone who is such a songwriter as he has written yeah. all of the songs.
0: He wrote them all. Yeah, He wrote all the songs. And yeah, yet he's still... The blueprint for everything.
1: He has those periods of self-doubt where he thinks, oh my God, how do I write a song?
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's even self-doubt. It's this sort of... You think that they're at the top of the Himalayas, but from where they are, they're still higher to go, you know? I don't know what that is. I guess that's the, the impetus. That's the that the drive. When to... you started
1: to make Colors in particular, though, when you went into mm-hmm. that, this beautiful, big, bright record, did yeah. you look back at what had come before and think about yeah. that oh, next yeah. chapter?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you just turn on the radio and, uh, you know, in America they have stations and they're just, you know, half of what you hear is, you know, what's current that week and then everything else is the greatest music ever made. So it's it's always humbling just to to get in the car and turn on the radio and Strawberry Fields comes on or Billie Jean or some Tom Petty track or you know and it just goes on and on and, and Led Zeppelin. And you know, as a musician, as a working musician, you hear this and you think, oh, I have there's so much farther to go. The talking heads will come on. It's just, ah, they got so deep into this sort of notion or idea concept of music. They, they got into the inner sanctum, you know, (laughs) which is uh, the sort of ultimate high in songwriting and music making. And, you know, so it's very inspiring to me.
1: Well, we're going to hear about some of the artists that have inspired you. Leaps in music is the theme that Beck has been given. He's picked five incredible songs Actually, technically, picked six because you couldn't whittle it down to five, and we might hear a little bit of one of the standbys.
2: Yeah, the guy on the
1: bench.
0: I'll, I'll probably do some honorable mentions too. I mean, <laughs> you
1: wouldn't be the first.
0: So, so the concept is, you know, the songs that felt like uh, they sort of changed things, or or opened up a whole new sound, or place an avenue for people to go down. You, you know, and I think every couple of years there's a couple of songs like that, right? Absolutely. You know, in each genre where all of a sudden everybody in that genre goes in that direction.
1: Particularly when you think about contemporary music and the way that we have really only had, you know, rock and roll for uh, less than a century. And you think about the speed in which genres are developed and then just cherry-picked, mashed together. Everything's always changing. When you can find a new idea within that big swirl, it's very exciting. And we're going to begin back in those early days of rock and roll. And well and truly pop music with the Beach Boys. Good vibrations is your first choice. How is this song a leap in music for you? I think this
0: song is, you know, and I think you could also put in anything by the Beatles in this era, too. Oh, yeah. suddenly you came out of this sort of teen music, pop music from the 60s, and uh, suddenly there was this sonic exploration happening and very sophisticated songwriting and production. And I picked this song because it does a few things that sort of sets the stage for what would become psychedelia, Mm. Um, a sort of maturation of rock music that kind of led into the 70s and what would become maybe prog music or art rock even. You know, I think a lot of things come out of this song. It was one of those songs, I think, that stunned everybody at the time. And uh, we may not have been there, but I have talked to people who remember hearing this song on the radio when it came out as just sort of pull your car over and, you know, and what is this, (laughs) you know?
1: Which is bizarre because you think now, again, it's one of those songs that fills oldies radio. It's one mm-hmm. of the most known songs in the world. But at the time, yeah. it was a surprise.
0: That's, that's something about these songs that are groundbreaking is they become such part of the, the sort of vernacular. They become everyday to us. And I remember some of these songs when they came out. It's like, oh, okay, now we're going in a whole other direction. There, there's been so many, like if, if it's Elvis and 55. Dream. For the Beatles in 64, or the Sex Pistols in 77, the Strokes in
2: 2001.
0: You know, where where a band arrives with the sound and it's completely counter-programming, it's not what is the sort of dominant thing at the time, but you know that everything's changed. Mm. And we are just flipping into a whole new thing and... You know, and I, I would throw actually for me, um, I'm of the age where like mid 80s Public Enemy, NWA, that was a huge shift. Like, that was, you can sample John Coltrane and mix it with some heavy metal band and chop it up with three other things and sort of angry political poetry. <laughs> You know, it's just uh, these sort of revelatory pieces of music that for me as as a musician have, um, on one hand, electrified this sort of sense of creativity and, and opened up new areas of freedom. So I think these are really important songs. But you're right, we do take them for granted. And it's all about context. You have to think about the era. Is that 66, Good Vibrations? Mm, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so you're coming right out of... You know, I say the Phil Spector wall of sound. Mm -hmm. That was probably the most ambitious music at the time. But a lot of it is kind of just post uh, big band music and novelty pop and Mm doo-wop and all that kind of thing. So this thing must have sounded like it was coming from another universe. And the instrumentation, the verse is kind of spooky with the organ, and it's got this minimal. There, there's something about the arrangement of the song that is very modern. You know, there's not a lot of drums. Yeah, right. Which, which is very contemporary to now. Yeah. You know, um, we could do a whole show on this.
2: I hear the sound of a wind, on the wind that her perfume through the air. Picking up good vibrations, she's giving me the excitations. Good. I'm backing up good, good, vibrations. good vibrations, she's coming back. Excitations, coming back.
0: This next choice is Gary Newman Cars. I would choose uh, that sort of whole mid seventies Bowie catalog, because I feel like that is that is really the uh, the blueprint of what happened in the eighties. Him and Eno really built this sort of concept that you know bands like Duran Duran or The Cure, or The Smiths, all these bands drew heavy influence from from him. Mm and crystallized and and elaborated that sound and turned it into something that became part of popular culture so i think bowie is really one of the architects but I, i chose the gary newman track because i think that uh you know a lot of what he did on those first three or four albums he was so early with that sound. Mm. He's that place between punk, and, I, and, and also you could, you could put the Sex Pistols. We were talking about maybe the Sex Pistols would be a more influential kind of moment, God Save the Queen. I mean, that is a really watershed thing. God save the queen. We made that man. We We're queen. But when you think about the 80s and, and the sound, I think something like "Cars" is much more, sort of the thing that was the leap forward and and, and launched a lot of bands because it was such a popular song. Mm. You know, that
1: said, about seven or eight bands did form from seeing the Pistols at one show in Manchester.
0: That's true. (laughs) Yeah, but like, and I knew who the Pistols were, but I was a little kid, and I and I knew the "Cars" song because it was in the TV commercial. It was everywhere. So if you think about the context then, you're coming out of um, sort of that 70s rock sound and Fleetwood Mac, and it's much more sort of earthy. So you have something that comes along that's so synthetic, and it's taking this rock aesthetic, but putting synthesizers to it. Which was nascent, you know. There was there was some of that happening in prog rock, and and Bowie certainly, I think, is is one of the ones who really was bold in that direction. But but Cars really did it in a way. Like if you hear it, it sounds like it should be from the eighties, mm. and, and I think yeah, it sort of starts this domino where you get Devo kind of doing Whip It, along, it. Long, it. and
2: wrong,
0: all through like. Depeche Mode and Duran Duran and all the synth bands and everything. Maybe he doesn't get his due for that song and how influential it was.
1: You're here with your revisionist uh, history, which is why we're asking you in.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's a really important song at the time. And, uh... It's interesting because it is really a rock song, you know, and if you listen to his, his first album, it's very punk, you know. But then there's always the strange bits of keyboard and acoustic guitar. And that's what I like, because it's not just the straight, you know, Sex Pistols, Clash version where it's just guitars and kind of that unassailable great punk band. So there's something just a little off going with Newman. And what is so interesting to me is how... He he did something so new and right before New Wave has really become a thing. Yeah. And he was so, so popular. Like he was playing, you know, stadiums and, you know, uh, it's sort of an interesting phenomena. It's like a, something that doesn't get talked about, you know, in the canon of, of great music. But he was really a, a huge figure at
1: that moment. How important is that element of surprise to you as an artist mm. when you're thinking about completely changing direction? doing something that your fans haven't heard before
0: i would love it actually um but i feel like and i and i have done it maybe not intentionally
1: i think you've done it many times
0: yeah and sometimes i'm not thinking i'm changing the conversation so you know so drastically and and i'm surprised and oh you didn't know that was coming because i if i have something like sea change or something that's coming that's a little bit different than before that It's incubating for so many years. To me, I've been living with it forever. And I've been thinking about this record, Colors, for 15 years, you know. So it's, you you know, all these things are there. I I would love to have the opportunity to do something that would be one-off, where I could really, (laughs) really go off and uh, explore. The thing is... You know you you can. Yeah, I I would love to. I've done different, like, sort of one-off single releases and Mm. things like that before in the past but I think of the records and and my fans it's like a conversation and I want to keep the conversation going I don't want to (laughs) say something completely (laughs) like you know something so off topic that okay the conversation is ending well that's I mean I was going to ask you if you
1: see yourself more as a crowd pleaser or as an agitator and it seems like you're definitely in the crowd pleasing
0: realm I think I'm in between somewhere in between Mm. yeah yeah I want to engage because uh, I think music is for everybody. But at the same time, I want to, I don't want to just fall back on formula either, mm. you know? So I think there's a space for that. And look, I, I know um, I just ran into Phoenix. I know we could sit and talk about a hundred records right now that nobody's ever heard of that we revere and that we think about endlessly. And, there's a certain thing that's for musicians, and there's certain musicians who make music for musicians, and um, we're sort of off topic here. But <laughs> so, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you can there's there's uh, I was talking to somebody about this who who works with a lot of jazz musicians, and uh, you know, there's certain jazz musicians who are very purist in that form, and they're really playing for jazz heads and, and jazz musicians. And then there's people like Herbie Hancock who will. Kind of go between all these different things And you know He has songs that actually People know You know Mm. The melodies too And you
1: know He has the hits
0: There's like something that Sort of brings everybody together You
2: know
1: One Mm. of the songs that you sort of chose But I wanted to tip a cap to it Because it's amazing uh, was yeah. Grandmaster Flash's The Message.
2: I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under.
0: I remember hearing Grandmaster Flash on the station that played The Cure, The Clash, Duran Duran, In Excess. that they were playing Grandmaster Flash. And it fit right in with that world, but it was coming from a totally different world. So,
1: Is that what made you feel that you could have that in your music, that it inspired you to start weaving hip-hop into what you were doing?
0: Yeah, I think there's some seeds there of that, yeah. I mean, there's Sugar Hill Gang as well before that. I said the hip-hop, the
2: hip, the hip, do the hip, hip-hop, but you don't stop the rocker, do the bang, man, say up, jump the boogie, to the rhythm of the boogie, and beat
0: but no, on a mean, really profound level. Like, like I would get on a city bus and there'd be a boombox in the back with somebody playing Grandmaster Flash. So good. I could see early that it brought the weirdos and the rock people and the people who liked funk and R&B all together. It was like sort of a meeting place, uh, which is interesting because now in America, you know, rap music is the center of the culture. Now that is the meeting place. That's where, you know, that's the dominant music now. But that music was undeniable and uh, and it was so fresh. And there's only a few times in your life where you're going to hear some music that feels like this is something that didn't exist before. This is truly new. Everything else is an iteration of the same thing. It's like an update of something else you heard or maybe even a better version of something that was cool before and that was reconfigured to be more contemporary.
1: Isn't it amazing, too, that we've experienced that in our lifetimes, that we've gotten to hear that the first time of of many musical genres?
0: Yeah, I'd throw in uh, Public Enemy, especially the second album and the first NWA record, which is mid-'80s, as far as hearing something that's completely new.
2: I'm expressing with my full capabilities living in correctional facilities because some don't agree with how i do this i get straight and meditate like a buddhist i sort of, of
0: modern of I, I couldn't quite figure out what it was i mean when when rap came out when hip-hop started it was a beat and a loop but then you started to have like just this sort of music concrete you know Approach to making tracks, and then they're rapping over it, and there's a sort of punk energy at the shows. So, I found all that for me formative.
1: There are a lot of honorable mentions. Yes, I think that we could be here for several hours. Yeah, Um, one of my all time favorite bands, Talking Heads, once in a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, you could
0: say that uh, Burning Down the House was a bigger hit song, maybe. The record after Once in a Lifetime was a huge record for the Talking Heads, and that, that made them a household name. But Once in a Lifetime is that, that place, that transition where you can't really name what it is. It's this elusive thing that just exists by itself in the universe. And um, that song is mysterious, but so uplifting. What I love about that song is we characterize something as uplifting tends to be music that's a little bit um superficial but there's a real depth to this song you know sort of talking about you know that sort of existential modern uh crisis of the life you're living and what it means and and but it's still a celebration of that life Uh, so i love this song it's uh
1: and pop music can be subversive
0: it's completely subversive music,
1: music is subversive right
0: so i think that it's not about hooks. It's like about that thing of where you can bring something really from a, a deep musical and personal place that feels like it's, it's from the other, you know, there's an otherness to it mm. that, that brings everybody together anyway. So as a little kid, I don't, I don't appreciate all the influences that are happening in the song, whether it's African music or hip hop and kraut rock or whatever, <laughs> punk, I can feel it somehow, and it, it was sort of seeping into the consciousness. Yeah. You know, what keeps me ambitious about music is to someday try to make a song this great, you know? Like, it, it's something that's like a, a, a high watermark.
2: And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife and you may ask yourself
0: And the next track is Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. was such a change when it came out. I remember when this album came out, the radio station played the entire album back to back for an entire day. What? You know, I'd n- never seen anything like that in my lifetime. Maybe when Sgt. Pepper's came out there was something similar, you know, like this this is a really important moment. And uh It meant a lot to me because Nirvana was a band that I knew. I used to go see them play. Uh, I used to go see them open for other bands. They were a a band that very few people knew about. But the few people who did know them knew that they were really special. And uh, so every once in a while, there's a band that you know is going to be an important band. And I don't know why you know that, but it's just... I remember years ago, uh, these kids coming up to me at a party, giving me their their, uh, CDR. Of some demos they had, and it was the Black Keys.
2: I feel me. Yeah, I feel
0: me. As I took him out on tour, and I, I watched the first show with them, and he's was like, okay, I'm I already can see the 15 years later what's going to happen with this. Mm. You know, I mean, the strokes or you know, there's white stripes. In a you know, I knew those bands before they got any, you you just know there's something special that's going to, and, and that was the case with Nirvana. I would see them at these little shows and there was just a, a very tangible energy that was extra, you know? So I have this memory of seeing them play maybe early 1990 and they played this song live And uh, I remember as it was playing, I didn't know the song because I only knew the first album. Mm. This is a year before uh, Nevermind came out. And they were playing a lot of the songs from that record. But immediately you could feel a visceral shift in the entire room. You know, it's like almost the entire room was frozen. And you're you're just like, okay, we've just entered another dimension of music, you know. So that's the way I first heard the song and uh um, it's incredible. Yeah, it's a very distinct cuz I remember the person I was with elbowing them and just pointing like w- w- you know, what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm hearing? <laughs> like, you know, it's one of those moments. I'm sure somebody who saw Elvis or, you know, one of the, or the Beatles in Liverpool, you know, it was a similar moment. And of course when it came out, it just it completely took over everything and it changed the course of music in that decade um as it should so but i think it's one of those perfect songs i i really understand the scene that it came out of because it came out of that sort of 80s underground music we didn't call it alternative at the time it was called underground mm. you know it was just the music that nobody cared about or knew about you know and they came out of that. And, but they also, you know, those were the kids that we all grew up with the cars and uh, FM radio and uh, Devo and all that stuff and punk. And so you could hear it all. It was all right there in that song.
1: I know that okay. you've been talking a little bit about your friend Kanye West hmm. and wanting to work with him. Is the next leap for Beck collaborations with Kanye? I don't know
0: if that would happen. I've I've reached out to him a, a number of times over the years. It's funny when we were doing Morning Phase, he was down the street, you know, several houses down, making
2: Jesus. I am a god. Hurry up with my damn massage. Hurry up with my damn Minaj. Get the Porsche out the damn garage. You
0: know, so I when when the whole thing with the Grammys was going on, I said it's funny like those two albums were made on the same block, <laughs> like, you know, so we're not all worlds apart and uh
1: not even suburbs yeah. apart
0: and you know my father is a conductor for strings and uh so that whole grammy week one of the funny one of the ironies of that whole thing was that he was actually working on Kanye's record he was going to have a session like a few days after the <laughs> grammys i love it I, I wasn't present for that but so yeah who knows you know life is long so so maybe
1: one more song, and we're going to mm. stay in the realm of hip hop. Okay, with Outcast, Hey Ya! Uh, is your final choice? Why this song?
0: This song was again. It's one of those songs that launched a hundred other songs, and it and it was you know. There's there's these rare songs. They're very rare. They're the songs that everybody likes. You know, it's just it sort of hits this plateau this middle place it's, where the,
1: it's the wedding dance floor song
0: i know <laughs> and it, but it, you know when i when you first heard it, it it was still weird right yeah it's still completely eccentric and uh the chords are really unusual and i liked it i remember i had played many shows with Outkast like in the late 90s and right leading up to the this record coming out so yeah i actually had seen them perform this song uh, maybe two years or a year before the record came out so, I remember the whole Polaroid picture thing, yeah, I remember that was a thing he did they did in concert and i and I always thought that was brilliant, and I thought it's too bad they don't put that in one of their songs. That's a really good bit so the song came out, and it was the I remember it was it was the kind of song that got people dancing who don't dance, you know, and uh There was something Beatlesque about it, Mm. but at the same time funkadelic, and and then it had this kind of um, '60s beat to it. Uh, But it was very modern, you know. So it it was very unusual. What it did is it opened up the genre. You know, hip hop has its conventions like any genre, but that band was was uh, a band that was really beloved from the first album on by myself and all my friends because they were constantly stepping out of what you're supposed to do in that genre you know i could relate to i I was with odelay and the first album i was trying to do something similar in the in the sense of that there's no rules about what lane we're supposed to be in so you know this is one of those songs that uh still sounds great you know my kids weren't around when it was born but they know it you know yeah. it's gonna be around forever and uh, they kind of opened up a little space in music with this song thank you so yeah, much for taking five thanks. today yeah it was an interesting challenge you know it's, it's funny when you talk about songs that are great leap forward it's hard to not be obvious I mean because the ones that really changed everything were really obvious songs you know
2: one two three uh my baby don't mess around because she loves
1: Yeah, capping off an incredible take five with Beck, sharing the songs he reckons define leaps in music. What a ride, and what a musical brain! If you love that, share it with a friend and rate it on iTunes so that others can find the take five podcast easily. That actually really helps a bunch. If you haven't dived into some of the other fantastic conversations in the take five, if this is your first rodeo, don't forget you can catch up on some. Amazing convos with people like David Byrne, who we heard in there with his Talking Heads song, Brian Eno as well, who we were talking about, Paul McCartney, of course, in the Take 5 podcast. There's a stack there right now and you can grab them wherever you get your podcasts. Next time, we're Taking 5 with a man who has worked with everyone from Snoop Dogg to Herbie Hancock, Lauryn Hill to Kendrick Lamar. We're talking to saxophonist Kamazi Washington. taking five with his greatest lessons next time hey this is george maple hey this is nick murphy i'm rose Matafeo. i'm taking five hey this is jake from methyl ethyl hi guys kate mccarthy from the brisbane lions this is joshua homie hey this is wafia and i'm taking five with sam the take five podcast the people you love play five songs they love and tell you why